And so far in the book of Acts, you've seen the church born. There was no church. And then uh, Christ said, you guys are going to be my disciples. In chapter 1, he said, you're going to be my disciples, uh, or my witnesses, sorry, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. And we saw right there in Jerusalem, the church was born. It started with those, uh, it was a group of probably about 150 different disciples. And then it spread, and it was about 3,000. And then it was 5,000. And as we saw, the church got strong there in Jerusalem. And as the church got strong in Jerusalem, then we saw that there was uh, the, we would say, assassination or the murder of Stephen, the martyrdom. He gave up his life. And then that's when we started last week. We talked about chapter 8. From there, the believers scattered, dispersed like seeds that would eventually bring life. And we're continuing to talk about Philip was one of the guys who brought that message to the Samaritans. And if you remember, the Samaritans were what the Jews would call half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. It's an offensive term, but that's the way they referred to them. They thought really lowly of them. But God said, hey, my message isn't just for a select group of people, just a cool Christian club. My message goes out to everybody. And so today what we're going to see is the message continues to spread in between even these people that are Jews or half Jew and half mixed with Assyrian to where now it's going out to an Ethiopian. No Jew in his blood whatsoever. And so we see the church continuing to grow. And I want to just take a minute to explain the church because when I talk about church, you might have a few things in your mind. You might have this building in your mind Uh, Are we going to meet at the church? Can I drop that off at the church? You might have uh, the time. So you might have the building in mind. You might have this meeting in mind. I'll see you at church. The church, you might have a different church in your mind. You might be thinking of Palmcroft Church or Desert Springs Church, or you might think of a different church. There are a couple different ways the word church is used in the Bible. And I'll just explain it like this. Big C Church and Little C Church. So Big C Church is the group of believers that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we would say that guy that was on the cross that Ned was talking about, that thief, was part of the church. He'd put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So he was part of the church. And maybe your great-grandmother put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So she was part of the church, the universal church. And maybe there's some people over in Afghanistan uh, ten years ago, put their faith in they're part of the church, the universal church. Does that make sense? But Scripture, so Scripture talks about that. And then Scripture also talks about what I would say, or we might call little c church, and that would be the local churches. He wrote to the church of Ephesus, the church of Laodicea. For us, it would be the Paradise Springs Church. Or the church, and both are mentioned in God's word. Big C church, little C church. Today, when I, I want to make that clear because as we talk about, uh, we're going to be talking about God growing the church. I want you to make sure you're not just thinking about God growing this particular church. How can God grow this church? Because there are tons of books out there. Uh, I've read a few of them. They talk about all the different methods we could do. You know, we need better signage. We need to be using social media. We need to do this. We need to do that. That's not the dynamic we're talking about. We're talking about God growing the church, the church family. 
God bringing people into his family. Does that make sense what I'm talking about? So uh, as you think about that, it made me, re- made me reflect a little bit about just me and our family. And, and I thought about, uh, for some reason, I was thinking more about my dad than me coming in and to the church. My dad was raised, I think it was a Baptist home and a Christian home. But I remember the day that I believe he became part of the church, put his faith in Christ. Because we went to Sunny Slope Baptist Church, and then we were at Cactus Baptist Church. I'm not talking about that. The day he became part of the family of God because he put his faith and trust in Christ. The way I remember it, you can correct me later if I'm wrong, Mom. Uh, But the way I remember it, he had had a couple beers, wasn't drunk or anything, but had been out working on doing some yard stuff. He was laying on the couch. My brother, who was probably about five years old, was laying. My dad didn't have a shirt on. My, my brother was kind of like sitting up laying on his stomach. And my dad or my little brother said something to him of the effect of, you're going to be with us forever, aren't you, dad? And my dad broke down crying. That something like that, right? That's the way I remember it. I was there, and that's what I remember, but I was only about 10 years old, nine years old, something like that. And at that moment... The things that my dad had learned as a child engaged in his heart, and he knew that he wanted to be around forever and put his faith and trust, and our whole household changed after that. I mean, everything changed. I'm not going to lie and say everything was perfect after that. It wasn't, but it was a dynamic, monumental change. Now, for me, it looked much different. I grew up, we went to Cactus Baptist, so I was a 10 years old or so. We went to Cactus Baptist. Pastor Joe Lamusio preached a sermon. It was kind of a hellfire and brimstone sermon. I remember being a little nervous and scared and asked my dad to take me up front because I wanted to make a decision to trust in Jesus. I was probably didn't know I was as bad as that thief at that point in my life, but I was fearful of going to hell, and I wanted to be saved. And so that's how I, at the point when I believed and became part of the family of God. And so, as we think about this, you can probably reflect on the time that you came to know Christ or became part of the family of God. Or you may say, it didn't really happen for me like that. It's little by little I came to trust Jesus Christ and let go and realize that it wasn't me. And then little by little I realized that I'm putting my faith in Christ for my salvation other than these things. But I, I know solidly, I can't point to that exact date, but I can tell you for sure, God over time has worked on me to put my faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, instead of anything else. And so we all have these different stories, we all have these different backgrounds, but that is a little picture of how the church grows. There's no one formula for it. So today we're going to see what happens uh, with Philip as he continues to preach that message, and I'm going to move kind of quickly through today's message, but we're going to hear a little bit about what happens with Philip. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down to the desert road. Now, Philip had an awesome ministry going in Samaria, by the way. It was... It was going gangbusters. That's where we left off last week. Remember the sorcerers was being saved and all these incredible things. But an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. He met a treasurer 
of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. That's just kind of a title, like kind of like we would say the Caesar or something of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet of Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? That's the passage from Isaiah. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself further north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. All right, so I want to talk just a little bit about God growing the church because remember, it went from the Jews to the Samaritans, and now all of a sudden here we see to just a uh, Gentile, I mean, uh, an Ethiopian, with no part of the Jewish tradition whatsoever, but he was worshiping in, thank you, we're going to have to work together, Ari, thanks. Um, and so <clears throat> God's design for, for growing the church the church grows through willing servants, and I just want to make a couple quick notes on this. That uh, we can go to the next one. That this angel said to him, "Go south to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza." It didn't. That move would have probably not made a whole lot of sense, because he's in this place that people are coming to know Christ left and right. The town is being transformed. There's this. Uh, kind of reconciliation between the Jews and the Samaritans. And he says, hey, you know where I want you to go? Out in the middle of nowhere. Go find a desert road and start walking down that desert road. It doesn't make sense, but Philip was willing to do that. He started out and uh, he went down. And as he was returning, seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said, go over and walk along beside the carriage. But what did Philip do? He ran over and he heard the priest prophet reading him reading from the prophet the other idea is he went and he went quickly God told him the spirit moved on him hey go over to that guy he didn't say what was going to happen he didn't tell him all the details of how it was going to unfold he said hey go over to that guy and what did Philip do did he if if it would have been me I know what I would have been doing I would have gone are you sure you want me to go over to that guy why that guy Really, is that God, or is that something I ate for lunch making me think that? Is that, I'd be wondering a hundred different things, but what did he do? He ran over to the man. And then the next one is that he ran over, reading from the prophet, and said, do you understand what you're reading? 
He entered into a conversation, had started having a spiritual conversation with this guy. And just the reality as we think about that, a willing servant, you know, I don't think God necessarily wants us to all go out to the mission field and go find, uh, you know, some long lost country or, or tribe or to go uh, live down in uh, Central America or any of those kind of things or, or the Amazon, any of those things to necessarily build his church. He might call a select few, but what he wants is people like us that would be willing to, when they're told to do something, to go do it. And for us, it may not make a whole bunch of sense. And I'm not saying that we need to do some really uh, outlandish thing, but God may want you to have a conversation that doesn't feel natural. God may want you to bring up something and start talking about spiritual things with someone who you don't necessarily feel comfortable. Philip was a man who was a willing servant. He went and did what God wanted him to do. And God, by the way, gets the glory in all this. It's not Philip that's such an amazing man. God's the one who's working. He brings an angel. He uses his spirit. He's the one who provides the scriptures, the situation. It's God who brings these things together. And that's how God works. I can tell you the truth. I've failed at this way more times than I've ever succeeded. But when we were over in the other building, I remember one day feeling like I should go door to door. And uh, that's way out of my comfort zone. So I did that, went door to door uh, a little bit. And that's where I actually met Francisco. Stepdad, would you call him your stepdad? Uh, And had an opportunity. They invited me into the house and uh, had an opportunity to lead him to Christ. We got to know German and their family. And... You can just see how God begins to work and change generations. At some point, you know, Pastor Joe Lamusio had some words to say that impacted me. At some point, God grew the church by using one or more people in your lives to bring the message of Jesus Christ to you. It may have been through your house, your grandparents. It may have been they uh, sent you off to a vacation Bible school to get you out of the house for the afternoon. It may have been something... But God used somebody who was willing to be a messenger, to be a servant, to bring good news and hope to you. And that's really what's needed. Our world needs hope. Our world needs salvation. Our world needs redemption. We need that in our own lives. But our world is desperately seeking that. And God wants to use willing servants. And so as we go through this message, one, will you please reflect on the fact that someone was willing and a servant was willing to bring the message that gave you life or is currently giving you life, would you just reflect on that and think, man, somebody somebody took a stand somewhere so that I could have what I have now. And then would you also reflect on just the reality of how can I be used? I don't necessarily want to be the Bible-thumping, going door-to-door. As I mentioned, my dad's situation God used my little brother. You don't know what words are going to be used. You don't know what you're going to say to somebody that's going to flip that switch that God's been working in them in all kinds of different situations. But would you be willing to be used by God to bring the message of hope to others? Next, God grows the church by reaching those outside the church. Now, a lot of times we talk, uh, their pastor talk is like, Oh, no, that guy's stealing sheep. 
is what they'll say. And the whole idea is like these pastors that'll go around and try and get people from one church to come to your church. And that's not necessarily what we, the way the church, big C, is to grow. That may grow a little C church, but God's design is to bring the message to the lost. He brought it to the Ethiopians through this man. God wants to use you to bring the message to the lost. Remember we talked about the, that they were scattered, and it's kind of like a bunch of seeds planted everywhere? We're the church gathered today. But at whatever time when you get done eating and then you leave, we're going to be the church scattered, a bunch of little seeds out there in the world that could produce life. We don't, it's not necessarily about getting people into this building. It's about us bringing life outside of the church. Philip went and brought life and brought a message of Jesus Christ to those outside the church. We need to make sure that we, the, that we realize that we have the opportunity. And Philip, did Philip beat this guy over the head? Did he try and win him in an argument? Is that what was happening? Did Philip go, let me show you 10 reasons why you're going to burn? <clears throat> no. The guy was a seeking heart, a ready heart. That was what God had done. <clears throat> Philip provided him with the truth. That's what we need to be. We need to be guides that help guide people to the truth. We need to be ready to provide an answer of hope for them. We need to be willing to speak up and point them to Jesus Christ. And so really, as we think about it, God grows his church by taking willing servants, willing messengers, and sending them out to reach those who are outside of the church, right? Uh, I'm not going to take the time. We'll we'll go through those. Wednesday night, you're going to get a lot deeper explanation on this stuff if you want to... Oh, the following Wednesday. This Wednesday, you'll get some good food. That's what you'll get this Wednesday. All right. And also, God grows the church through the message of Christ. So as we think about what Philip did, I think we might have some verses up here. Philip ran over, heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah, and Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And so really, as we've talked about, this is a book about Jesus Christ. He is our hope. And that is what Philip pointed him towards. He used those scriptures in Isaiah that were talking about Christ, and the guy had some questions But what Philip did was Philip pointed him to Jesus Christ and gave him the message, the good news. So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. He didn't plead with him. He didn't beat the guy over the head about how terrible he was. He didn't use some kind of, uh, you know, system that he'd learned. What he did, I believe he learned this from Christ, is he learned to see Christ in the scriptures and explain it. And so... My point is this. One, it's important for us personally to know Jesus Christ. If we're going to deliver that message, it's important for us to know the one we're talking about. Two, it's good for us to know the truth. We don't have to make an emotional plea. We don't have to make it sappy. We don't have to make it clever. What we want to do is provide the truth about Jesus Christ. So it's important that we know the truth about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. And we can bring that to others. 
And so as we think about that, it's about pointing people to Jesus Christ. And I would say, invite people to church. Heck yes. Give people a good little devotional booklet or, or, or you know, tell people about a rehab program. Do all the, these different things. Do it. But just realize the, those are platforms. Social justice, I mean, that's a big thing right now. Well, let's go out and fix, the, <clears throat> fix society. Great things. But those things don't bring the life that Jesus Christ brings. Someone could attend church here every single Sunday and not have the life of Jesus Christ. What we want to do is we want to let people know about our Savior. And that's what Philip did, was he brought the message of Jesus Christ. He didn't go into a Bible study that explained all the nuances of Isaiah and why Isaiah wrote this and some different ideas. He pointed to Jesus Christ. And so for, for us, that is really where the message of life comes, is talking to people about what we know about Jesus Christ. I'm not, I live in the real world with you guys. I'm not in a little uh, ivory detached tower. And I, I know you're not going to be going, you know, to work and, and showing up and pounding on the boss's desk and knocking on everybody else's uh, office doors and saying, I want to spend, uh, share the message of Jesus Christ with you. But I do think we can all be ready to address the brokenness that is in this world by giving people the hope of Jesus Christ. Because you have conversations, I have conversations every day with people that are just dealing with the brokenness of life. We all are dealing with the brokenness of life. And we have to remind ourselves that the hope we have is in Jesus Christ. And as you run into people in those broken situations, we offer them, and you can even tell them, hey, I don't have it all figured out now. I'm trying to... Uh, learn how to have this hope myself, but I, I believe there is hope in Jesus Christ. He offers eternal life. And so that's where the life is found, is in the message of Jesus Christ, the truth about Jesus Christ. And so, uh, Ari, will you give me one more there? So how does the church grow? The church grows by when God directs his servants to deliver the message of Christ to those outside the church. So this is God's work. Philip is not the superstar of this passage. God is. God provided the Savior, Jesus Christ. God provides the hope. God provided the prodding. God worked in that eunuch's heart. God is the one who works salvation, but he lets us participate in that. And so again, my encouragement to you would be reflect on the people that have impacted you and brought the message of Jesus Christ into your life, that have allowed your life to be changed and different. And then in in your own way, in in your own life, think about the ways you can be sharing the message of hope with people outside of the church. That's who needs what we have. And again, in this, God sends him to this desert road. One, One more last point on this. We serve a God who seeks us out. He seeks the lost. He seeks the brokenhearted. He seeks the messed up. That is good news. And I feel like the, the words that come to my mind this morning is, as he's chasing after you and chasing after others, let yourself be caught by him. Don't be, let's not be running around trying to dodge him. Let him catch you 
and shower you with his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his love. He's a chasing, pursuing God. You can see it all through scripture. It's really loud in this passage. But he is pursuing us and he's pursuing others with his love. And we can help be the ones to deliver that message of hope. I praise God for the fact that he chased me down in in the ways that he chased me down and my family. And it's amazing. And I know the story multiplies as we begin talking here. I know Arlene had an opportunity to lead someone, uh, Jennifer, I think it was, to Christ. I've seen Penny bring her friend Debbie. Uh, I watched Rob invite a guy at Home Depot one day. We're doing that, guys. Let's continue. And I know that I could, we could just keep going around and talk about how we're all sharing. But that's how the church is built. That's how souls are saved. As we, the church gathered today, become the church scattered through the week and bring the hope of Jesus Christ out into this dark, messed up world. They need what we got. Praise God, we got it. Someone gave it to us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that we have because of him. Thank you that you work and chase and pursue us and that we get to be a part of your plan of passing on the good news. Help us to be filled up with love and the forgiveness and all of the things, the grace and mercy that you give us. Help us to feed on that, be filled up with that through the week so that we would be able to offer that to others as we run into them. As we bump into people through the week, what spills out is the love that we've been taken in from you. We thank you again for today. Thank you for our kids, the kids' workers, all the people that are serving. Thank you for time for communion and leading that. And I just want to praise you for how good you are. Thank you for my mom being here and just the way you've worked in her life over the past year and a half. God, we just praise you for how good you are to us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Sunday social. Go ahead and just... uh... Mosey on